Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with my friend Eric Marable. What's up, dude? What's happening, Joe? Uh, I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast again, and uh, excited for what we're going to talk about, too. Um, yeah, I mean, if you read the show notes, we're talking about Chernobyl. <laughs> 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 Surprise! Um, but, uh, dude, number one, it's like the highest rated movie on IMDb of all time. Or not movie, but CV, uh, series. Yeah, you know what? That's... I mean, as good as it is, it seems kind of weird because, like, um, how old were you when Chernobyl happened? You were around, right? Yeah, I was five and a half. Okay, well, I was, I would have been 11. So, like, for us, there's like a, I can't really say nostalgia, but there's an actual memory of this event happening. Whereas, like, so many other, like, new viewers for TV and stuff, like younger people, I would think it wouldn't be it wouldn't you know be that um i don't know what the word would be but it, it wouldn't be that in in capturing of their minds i would i would have thought going into this that there would be that many people watching and that many people loving it but to be honest by uh i guess now 19 year old daughter she's been watching every episode and she loves it yeah, I mean, the way that they filmed it and the, and the human stories that it captured and then just the, the crazy amount of, like, suppression that the state tries to put on it at every turn, it's all really fascinating. Um, for, for me, it's not something that I remember the actual event, but I remember, you know, growing up hearing references to it and stuff like that, especially, you know, when there was always, whenever there would be talk of, anything like a nuclear meltdown, of course, you know, that would be the thing that would be referenced. And so it was something that I never knew a lot about, but I knew a little bit about. And then I think the, the first time that I really saw a lot of the aftermath was on um, a documentary called life after people. Did you ever see that one? Is that the one where they had um, several, it was several different episodes with different things that could happen without people. Yeah. They ended up turning it into a, a series, but it, it wouldn't initially launched. It was just like a two hour long documentary, but um, the, I mean, the series was about the same gist, but, and, and they probably went to Chernobyl in the series at one point, but I'm pretty sure that it, it was in that first movie. They kept bouncing back to there just because that's such an example of, Hey, this would be like if people just up and fucking disappeared. Cause you know, I mean the way, that in the show we see it evacuated is is basically, hey, everybody, we're leaving and we're leaving now. Like, I mean, just fucking absolutely crazy. And for me, like, I live within a few miles of a nuclear power plant. So, like, watching this show, I'm like, wow. <laughs> if anything goes south, it's like immediately jump in the car and fucking leave. Like, fuck everything else. Um, oh, right. Man, I forgot. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I always got some and illinois got some yeah you don't live in next one after watching stuff like this you're kind of like holy crap i don't know if i want to live here anymore dude almost anywhere i go like within i don't know at least uh call it maybe a 20 mile radius or so or around the plant you can i can basically look on the horizon and just see where like the steam cloud is coming up and then joining the clouds in the sky and be like home is that way <laughs> Mm -hmm. and that's weird yeah yeah because we had um 
it was really big back when I was a kid too. It's funny because like when this happened for Chernobyl, it's the same time a lot of talks and things were going on in Sacramento. We had Rancho Seco, <clears throat> which was another nuclear power plant that had been decommissioned or was going undergoing like decommission and had been shut down and it for a while was turned into a training facility and then there were big talks about like where to store the nuclear waste and it was it was like a big time in at least in the United States where they you know determining that they weren't going to build any more nuclear reactors so they can find a permanent federal de- uh, depository for them all so it was like it was huge in the media so you're just like as a child, you're like, oh, my God, that's awesome. A nuclear power plant's awesome. And then realistically, it's like, eh, maybe it's not as awesome as I thought it was <laughs> as a kid. No, it, like if the one one of the biggest impacts, and especially in the first two episodes of this show, was seeing the incredibly graphic portrayal of what nuclear or just radiation exposure like that does to the human body. Like that was fucking crazy. Like they did such a good job showing it with the makeup and stuff on that. Like it was horrifying. Yeah, it was cause uh, I've only seen a couple images from like Chernobyl, like actual images. Cause a lot of that stuff's so suppressed, but I don't know if you've ever seen pictures from, um, after Hiroshima, we, when we detonated the bomb and, Hiroshima we sent ground troops in and I we I saw a video when I was really young about and this is probably around the same time being as how I'm an 80s kid and how you know nuclear anything in the 80s was huge but yeah that it didn't look anywhere like Chernobyl I mean it looked horrible they had gross and it looked like almost like long-term nuclear exposure but this stuff was like it was horrible yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the specifics for, for what the exposure levels were, but they just made it seem like in this show with with all that, you know, irradiated graphite chunks and everything like all over the roof and all over the grounds and everything. We see that one fireman in the first episode pick it up and then a little while later his hand is basically like coming apart. Oh, yeah. Fuck, it's just horrifying. But man, it when when they named the the three roofs and then the way that they had to deal, I, I love that they had to bring lunar rovers outfitted with like little bulldozer things to kind of push that stuff off. And then there was another the roof that it couldn't handle shit. And then what was really cool about that is when they bring that other robot in and then we see that that first r- real glimpse of just how f- far the <laughs> like the people at the very top are willing to go. It's like they're they're telling their lies so hard that they're not even getting them the equipment that they need. And and, and like just the biggest one of it all is when they said that Soviet greatness wouldn't allow for an accident like this to have happened in the Soviet Union. It's like, holy shit, the hubris behind that statement is so terrifying. And for me, that's where the show took it to like a deeper level. And and maybe on rewatch, I'd catch some of that a little bit more, but. You know, in the in the the earlier episodes, but but wow, it, when it switched to that deeper level of intrigue, and then we really see some more of the involvement with the KGB and stuff, uh, the the show just jumped up a whole new level for me. Yeah, yeah, because it was super. I, I don't think the show <clears throat> um, did the because I, I don't know when I was watching the show, I was kind of explaining a lot of stuff to my wife. 
about the events and stuff that were kind of not in the forefront, really. <clears throat> Did they re- disclose in the in the show how the world even found out about Chernobyl? Okay, so yeah, they said that it was a reactor in Sweden, maybe? That it uh, was measuring, uh, it caught measurements of the the wind and was showing that it was radioactive. And then, of course, they had, um, you know, satellite footage and stuff that that, that reactor in, in Chernobyl was on fire and all that. And so I think that that was kind of what brought it to the world stage initially, at least how they portrayed it in the show. Right, right. Yeah, because like in Sweden, the workers coming in for their shift were coming in reading hot and they were like trying to figure out they shut the plant down and everything trying to figure out what happened like they, they knew an incident happened and they ended up tracking it to chernobyl and like russia didn't tell anybody which is like terrifying as far away as like as sweden is <laughs> from from the ukraine it's insane and then like i think it was when sweden found out everyone was kind of like oh there's something going on in russia and it was like the u.s sent like spied on them and found out that they that's what happened was it was chernobyl so like chernobyl didn't even acknowledge that like oh it's no big deal they found out it. yeah we'll, we'll just have to tell them as little as possible and it's like holy shit you're like giving fallout to all the fucking like even your own people but you know what they got other countries more than their own people and they just didn't bother to tell anybody it's horrifying <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and the show really leans into that, basically saying that this whole thing happened because of the extent of the the lies that that the the leadership was telling. Because if they would have just fixed this flaw in the reactors to begin with, instead of just being like, "Nope, nope, nope," that's uh, that's not the truth. No, we're we're too good for that to happen. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like. I just, that, I mean, that's something I don't understand. I can't wrap my head around why somebody would do that. But I mean, we see multiple instances of people doing that in the show and like people from the top down trying to cover this stuff up. And when it's something like fucking nuclear fallout, yeah, you got to be a little bit more forthright, even if it is. Of course, it's embarrassing. You just did something that fucked the world for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, holy shit <laughs> one way to put it you fucked the world for a while and they did it's like oh man it's like that's it's terrifying especially at that time being as how we just got out of the cold war and like just everything atomic is just in the media it yeah and it was their most prized. They're like, it was their number one facility. They're like their best and newest, and they were so proud of it. And it's and it's hard for them not to be, I guess, because as as much as they were pivotal in the space race, and they had a lot of accomplishments. And their you know uh, Russian engineering is, I mean, it's only beaten by German engineering at this point, really. So it's like they they had, yeah, it they had such an ego about themselves and what they could do. And they, by all rights, should have had an ego. They were, they were powerful and everything, but it's like, you can't suppress your people and the rest of the world. You got to like, check that shit. And they, who's going to tell Russia to check it. They can't even tell themselves. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that KGB, the head of the KGB was there even telling them that those people are watching me. 
Um, those people are, are what someone's watching you. Someone's watching those people. There's people watching me. It's all everyone's just watching each other. It's he worded as accountability when all it is is they're spying on everybody. But yeah. it's like you you can't. There is no way anyone could have done anything at that point just because it's all it's like North Korea. It's like one person can't make a difference. A whole group can't make a difference because the machine's going one way. Man, one of the things that I really liked about this is the way they laid out the five episodes and how, you know, the I mean, the first one seemed to really deal with what happened immediately after that explosion. And we yeah. see everything with the firefighters and stuff. And I really loved how it just progressed into like different stages of it. Like it's it's a linear 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 story, but it's. It's it's almost like the episodes are are laid out more sectionally. I mean, does that make sense? Did did you see it that way? Yeah, I I totally did because it, and it's like the point of narrative for each of those was completely different, and it was it didn't like it didn't work as like some of these shows where they're a little bit scatterbrained, where they bounce around and give you a little bit here and a little bit there, and oh, this payoff. That of this little thing you heard at the beginning of the first episode is going to finally pay off at the fu- finale, and it's like, no, this they're just really methodically laying it out for you, so you can understand and absorb everything really easily. And it was it was really compelling, and it, it was a really creative narrative choice to show everybody because I, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to know how like when Legasov at the beginning he kills himself. Like, how many people really know about that? I mean, you gotta you gotta be really into it to really understand like the ramifications of what that was, and to show like all the things he went to went through, so you can watch all the things he goes through that ultimately lead up to his decision to do that. That's that that's the only thing that really kind of calls back. But yeah, they did a good job like really laying each like. Each episode seemed to pivot around at least one person, so you got to see their involvement. Like, the first one was the firefighter. So you got to see his entire... the entirety of, like, what what his reaction was. And it was... It was rough to watch people's um, roles in this whole thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially because when we're first introduced to this firefighter, you're seeing him with his wife and... And the viewer knows that she's pregnant, but he doesn't know. And then he's just going to respond to this call. And he's like, oh, no, no, they're saying it's just the roof on fire. Because the people who are in charge of the control room when it exploded are not even admitting that the fucking reactor exploded. Like, they're sending people in to go look at this. Thing. You go in there and look and you tell me it's there. And the person like that's being sent to go look at it like, knows that the motherfucking thing exploded. And they know they're being sent to their death, but still they fucking do it. And it's... The, the human aspect of this story was so riveting. And the actors did such a good job pulling off these roles. Um, I love Jared Harris. He, he is one of my favorite actors... Um, the way that he did Legasov in this, and did you ever watch the Terror on on AMC? No, no. So that that was a period piece where there were these two ships that were they were Arctic teams of Arctic explorers from the British Empire, and they were trying to find a way um, um, through the. They were trying to basically trying to discover the Northwest Passage going through the Arctic Circle. Instead of so that way they didn't have to go down around South America, 
to sail around. They could, could take the Northwest Passage through. And so basically whatever explorer found this was going to have all this glory in the British Empire and everything. And the terror follows this story of these two ships that sailed out to go find that and then disappeared. They were never seen again. And so it's kind of like a fictionalized history account of them encountering this monster when their ships are trapped in the ice and everything. Well, Jared Harris plays one of the captains in the terror and he's pretty much the lead in that. So, I mean, if you like, if you like what he did in, in this, like, I definitely recommend you to check out the terror. And also the dude who played the firefighter also in the terror. Huh? Yeah. I'm writing that down. (laughs) <laughs> so I was a, I was looking at his one. filmography and I haven't seen him in anything yet, but I did just start recently watching Mad Men and he's in that, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing him in that. At least I'm hoping to. You never know what he could be playing in Mad Men. I might not <laughs> like him after that. <laughs> Jared Harris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he played. Um, uh, was it Mordecai? Moriarty. That was Sherlock Holmes's nemesis, right? In the second Sherlock Holmes movie. No clue. I've never seen. I've never seen Sherlock. I'm like looking at the, his filmography, and I'm like, "Wow, I suck it. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Man from Uncle. Um, wow, I suck." <laughs> and then Stellan Skarsgård was fucking rad in this also, and the way that those two characters bounced off of each other, and then the journey that we see them undertake as they basically have to work together to to combat something that's never happened in human history and, and they pull it off been, I mean, with, with drastic personal consequences, do we see in the, at the end of the first episode, the, that Legasov hangs himself. And so the whole time watching it, I, I'm knowing that at some point his, his future is going to lead to that, but lots of guesswork, especially the last episode of this, I, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but um, the, the last episode of this, where it shows the trial, and and the point that their friendship is at in the last episode versus <laughs> what their first encounter is like in the first episode, I mean yeah. it's 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 an incredible turn that in five episodes. I mean I was a hundred percent there. Yeah, yeah, because he he started off as not a likable person at all, and for him to make that complete change once he realized his the importance of the role he was in to fix this. Yeah, you can't really even fix it, but to at least do what he can to, to stop all the contamination and everything. Like he realized that he had, he played a big role in, you know, the stage of the earth at that point, And he really came through and it's, yeah, he, his character was so good, especially like towards the end, he realizes I want to say, was it the um, the third episode? He says something to the event that, like, they sent him to be in charge. And, like, they he knew at that point that they sent him there to die. Like, the government, they knew he was going to die when they sent him there. And it's not like he got a lot, like a lot of the, the miners. The miners had the choice to go there and save the world. This guy was put in a position where he just had to. His life was given up for him. And it's 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 horrible, especially towards the end when you have to watch him through that trial. You're like, this is a guy sitting here as a representative of the, of the um, Soviet Republic, and he has to, and he was, his life was taken from him and for nothing that he did. Just somebody had to, so he was the one picked to go. It's horrible, but yeah, those two guys, their their relationship was, 
It, it's similar to that, like, of War Vets. Two people fighting side by side in the trenches is what these guys were. Absolutely. And then the the way that Emily Watson's character uh, comes in, and and did, did you see how the, basically they... She was a fictional character, but they wrote her in as, like, an amalgam of all the Soviet scientists that were working at it, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time, because... Uh, Lagasov actually had teams of scientists working with him in real life and you know realistically they couldn't do it like that for the show so they made Emily Watson's character um, just kind of this amalgam of all those scientists and she was great and I mean the the way that those that that trio all played off of each other as they the episodes progressed and they get deeper into you know um Emily Watson's character is doing all the research, interviewing the different survivors and uh, people that were there that night and coming up with stuff. And then um, it's almost like Legasov for a while has got like an angel and a demon <laughs> on either shoulder, you know, where he's got uh, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, uh, Boris Sherbina basically being like, you know, no, <laughs> you're going to do this. How the fuck I tell you you're going to do this. And then, you know, Emily Watson... Um, how, how do you pronounce her name? I'm looking at it right now. It's, is it Komyak? Sure. I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember it either, to be honest. Like, That's what we're going to go with. In the way, she's like basically saying, you know, no, we need to expose what happened and we need to tell everybody about it. And then the different turns that her character goes through, getting in trouble with the KGB and stuff, I thought that that was pretty riveting. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's it's... It's good to see, like, that they used a woman. Because I want to say that, like, the person... When her first introduction was... Um, when she, like, takes the swab off the window and analyzes it and determines that there's been a nuclear action. I believe that was a woman to begin with. And for them to continue to go down that path makes it a lot better. Because you get a different kind of sense of, uh, sense of view. Because, like, she was really... Other than... Um, shoot. What was... <sighs> Well, who's the woman who was pregnant? I don't remember her name. Oh, I had it written down too. Uh, but she was really the only pivotal woman. So to add another man into this, they would have got lost in the mix, I think, because like the dynamic played really well with, with her too. It's like she really seemed to be able to fill the role of so many different, like so many different roles that the different scientists would have encompass that made her character out too and she really it's it's good that they picked people for these roles that like you you look at them you're like yeah i can see that person's a scientist or they could carry the lingo rather than have like some pretty faced person in there where you're like oh this idiot it's not a freaking scientist let's <laughs> say i found her character's name but it's, it's a very russian name or or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Ludmil- is it Olivia or something Ludmilia like that? Olivia Ignantenko. There you go. Yeah. Wow. I'm terrible at that. <laughs> Man, that have that happens on number one comic books sometimes. The other podcast I do where I'll pick a comic book where I'm so stoked to read and I get the creator's name and I'm like, oh, I'm totally gonna fuck this up when I'm reviewing this. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take notes and like actually not just put the person's name in, but like spell it out phonetically. So I, <laughs> I need to take smarter notes is what I'm saying. 
in my defense, I don't really know any know any like uh, people who are actually from Russia that kept their Russian names. So, oh I my, these God. are all foreign. Okay, okay. This is where this is where we're doing the start cast turn, and we're going into total tangent that has nothing to do with the subject at hand. But, but yeah, okay. So a few months ago, I'm at my local grocery store, and I'm going down this aisle, and all of a sudden, I hear this old lady like scolding somebody, and she's going, "Is that why all my chips are broken in the bottom of the bag? This is disgraceful." And so then I go over in the next aisle and there's like the, the Frito-Lay vendor is there and she's putting away chips, bags of chips on the shelf. Right. And this lady's well, old lady is then hastily walking away. And then there's another old lady that must have seen the whole exchange. And she decides that she needs to step in because the Frito-Lay vendor hasn't gotten yelled at enough. She's like, did you hear what she said? And she's like over enunciating everything. And I'm just dying inside watching this exchange. She's like, is that why all the chips are broken in the bottom of the bag? Be careful. And when she said be careful, she put both her hands out, like, like motioning at the ground. <laughs> like, be careful. And I'm like, oh, God. And so I, like, walked past her and, like, I, I said something unpleasant because it, the, the, the free-to-lay vendor couldn't say anything, right? I mean, she was being right. professional at her job. And so I walked past. And, uh. And I'm like, I'm really sorry that, that that lady yelled at you. And I um, I think you did a really good job in in not telling her to go fuck herself. And, <laughs> and, and this lady looks at me and it blew my fucking mind. She's like, customer is always right. And like this really heavy Russian accent. Oh, my God. And so I'm like, Wow. They just keep pushing my cart, but then I start giggling, thinking of all the better things she could have said with that accent. <laughs> In Mother Russia, we feed old women to dogs. <laughs> it would have been fucking amazing. Jesus. <laughs> oh and I, I've seen the vendor at the store a few times since, and I'm like, that's the Russian chip lady. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so did you watch this show um, with you and your wife, or just yourself? I or just—I'm just, sorry. Did you bring your kids involved? In no. <laughs> What's funny is that um, I, I watched episode five earlier today, and both my kids at one point walked into the living room like, "What are you watching?" And I'm like, "Ah, it's Chernobyl." You would think it was extremely boring, and so then they just turned around and walked away. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> well, they're eight and eleven. I think I guessed it right. Yeah. <laughs> but but no, my wife didn't watch this one with me. Oh okay. Yeah, my wife sat and watched the whole thing too because she'd remembered it, being as how she's a little older like I am. So we would have been in our ten or eleven when it happened. So she was really curious as to happen what happened, and she didn't understand like all the ramifications or exactly what caused it or the health impact that it had on everything so it was um mind-blowing to say the least for her. <laughs> i remember when the first episode came out i think you posted something somewhere online about being excited that the series was coming out and that <laughs> you were like i know way more about this accident than i should or something like that right. and so from that moment i was like I need to ask him if he wants to talk about this. Because <laughs> the, 
what's funny is that I had like facts about Chernobyl saved in my Startcast notes for like months and months and months, and like strangely, it never came up in conversation. So <laughs> I never ended up talking about it. But I I think one of the biggest things that always blew my mind about it, and the reason that I initially put it in my notes was that it was such. I mean, it was a nuclear meltdown. And they were refusing to admit that that's what it was. And as a result, they kept people in like a dense populated area way close to the accident site. They kept them there for two or three days before they evacuated. And that is, I mean, just th- there's got to be people in, in, in the former Soviet Union and in Russia and stuff that are not thrilled that, that this TV miniseries was made. Oh, I can imagine, especially right now with the tension with uh, uh, Putin trying to retake part of the Czech Republic, which is not too far from this. So it kind of it really the political lines are like really, really gray at this point as far as like who's accountable, who's responsible. Um, Is Russia the same USSR that caused the Try or attempted to cause the cover-up of this. So it's like the, for, for anybody to really dig up any, any of the old skeletons of any country, and especially this one, it's, uh, it's seems like it would be a very tense, <laughs> not a good conversation starter in Russia, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's like when you go to Germany, they're like, don't, don't, don't talk to them about Hitler and shit, okay? They, that's really not what they want to be hearing from <laughs> tourists. <laughs> right right oh, oh man my god yeah could you imagine that like like on a, a lower level just in like everyday life like you meet somebody and it's like like hey remember that time you did that thing that was really awful that the whole world knows about yeah yeah that was yeah. a thing wasn't it <laughs> it's oh, like man. where do you go in conversation from there yeah there's no way of digging yourself out of that one yeah. that's for sure <laughs> It's like so. Uh, do you prefer cats, or I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, man. Oh shit! And then, um, you know, what's wild is that. I mean, this thing with Chernobyl happened, and then there was another accident that happened with Three Mile Island. And we we had the the Fukushima one not too long ago either, caused by a tsunami. And so it's, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, nuclear fuel is pretty good. I mean, it's, uh, aside from creating the, you know, the radioactive fuel rods and stuff, but I've heard some actual pretty interesting stories about things that could potentially be recycled from that. But but basically what I'm getting at is that, you know, this is the worst one that's happened, but there has been, like, kind of almost and stuff like that that's, that's happened as well. So, I mean, like, I don't know, like... How close was Fukushima to this? I mean, I I know you know more about the, <laughs> you know more about these nuclear disasters than I do. Right. So like this one, the, I think the biggest element or the biggest difference between this and uh, Fukushima would be like this was a direct core explosion because the the pressure that built up in this it exploded, and like the the graphite bricks and graphite like um, containment unit itself went up into the atmosphere so that you had all that radio um radionuclei that and that was from 
the reactor, all the cesium and strontium went up into the atmosphere and it continued to just like just pour out tons of radiation. And then as so you had all that stuff that was put up into the atmosphere and drifted away. And then this like the secondary explosion was like when like oxygen got into the actual reactor because like as the reactor kind of um uh, what's the word for it is as it's trying to like basically stabilize itself it releases like hydrogen particles and hydrogen and, and oxygen together is explosive and that's when the actual core itself exploded so all the material and all the debris went directly straight up because like the containment unit is you know um the only part of the containment unit that was open was the roof. So that was the only place for everything to escape. And all the graphite was on fire. So all the particles released into the atmosphere. So that's all, all the horrible stuff went up where like Fukushima, the explosion from that was just like, basically like, um, uh, like hydrogen had built up in one of the, um, bleed off areas and it exploded and put some, hydrogen particles that were radioactive in the environment but the actual cores of that just went straight down into like the water table so yeah there was like a triple meltdown at fukushima but it all went straight down and and they don't know if it all went into the water table or not so is yeah yeah so fukushima did melt down and it right, like melted right. down. Okay, because like in in Chernobyl, we see the the episode where, where all the miners go in, and they're doing that so that they can build like a a cooling pad, basically underneath the cement to keep the cement from melting. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, and that right. shit with the miners—that was fucking amazing from beginning to end, wasn't it? Yeah, because those guys knew what they were getting into, and they were like, "Fuck it, we're miners. This is what we do." I was like, Jesus Christ. They put themselves through hell to just (laughs) save the... They thought they were saving the world. Yeah. Well, they were. I mean, in a very real way. Yeah. I won't... Yeah. I just say... I just put... I thought they... They thought they were because ultimately it didn't get down that far. So they didn't actually need to do what they did. But nonetheless, they put themselves... They gave their lives for the whole world. Not even for their own country. It was for everybody, and it's 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 terrifying to know that somebody's doing that. And they they don't feel the effects of it until you know weeks, even if the earliest weeks later. Those guys are just tough as nails. Just like they were talking about them went before they went to go talk to the miners. They were like, "Yeah, these guys they see everything." <laughs> yeah, I love when that minister Cole shows up. And basically has like the soldiers with him and the one dude who's in charge of all the miners is like he's not taking any fucking shit. And when those soldiers put their guns up, he's basically what? You don't got enough bolts to kill all of us, and then the ones that are left alive are gonna beat the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this guy's amazing. <laughs> oh fuck. I love those dudes. Especially when they go there and they're like, Hey, do these masks work? They're like, Yeah, somewhat. He's like, Yeah, bullshit or else you'd be wearing them. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, man. There was a story that they left out of this miniseries, which was kind of compelling that they didn't put it in there because it would have just – there would have been no benefit other than terror for watching it. But it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit going down there for these these guys to dig. 
And there was stories of one guy that like he found a puddle of water and drank from it. And he, he's the first person to die because he drank the radioactive water trying to stay hydrated. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that's fucking astonishing. But it's it's like, I, I, I don't even know. These guys, were they were so heroic. And it's like, there's something that they did that's unique to Chernobyl that they obviously couldn't do that at Fukushima. It's right there on the coast. There's no way you could dig underneath there to try to even stop that stuff. They, I mean, if, at least in Chernobyl, they know where it's where it's at. They call it the elephant's foot, which is the core of the reactor because it's melted and looks like a giant elephant's foot. But Fukushima, they don't even know where the cores are at. And that's terrifying. That is fucking crazy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that's one of those ones where I only know things about that disaster just from random news blurbs. I've never actually done any research or watch documentaries on that one. Oh yeah, I, I did. I admit it. <laughs> but that one, that one's scary too. Cause it's like, this one was like a test that these guys messed up the core, the reactor itself was flawed to begin with. And it's just, you know, ego and stupidity with bad design just led to a horrible event. Whereas like Fukushima was a natural disaster that just happened. Even though, like their like their flood wall wasn't rated high enough to begin with, like they knew that it wasn't going to stop a tsunami. So it was. It's basically they. If a tsunami happened, they knew they were fucked because they didn't build like a storm wall to stop the tsunami that was high enough, and that's the reason that it kind of the tsunami took out their basically their pumps that pumped the water to cool the reactor. That's how that one melted down. Basically, is they had no energy to to cool the 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 reactor and it just melted down oh my gosh yeah it's it's terrifying so it's like anybody who's like pro-nuclear it's like yeah be pro-nuclear all you want just make sure there's safety regulations that are being followed through oh no kidding i mean that one just blows my mind it's like you're gonna build it on the coast and you're not you're gonna know that there's a flaw in the system and just say yeah fuck it let's just roll with it it's like no you don't say fuck it when you're dealing with nuclear energy no no, and like you said, Three Mile Island, like the difference between like here, it's just like shit like a lot of people don't know because I'm a psychopath, I guess, is like the nuclear rods aren't the same in the United States versus Russia because there's like these moderators they put into them that like basically like as, a, as you shoot a neutron at uranium, it splits it and then the split releases another neutron, which hits another piece of uranium, which splits. So it's basically like just friction, right? But there's moderators in our reactor um, fuel rods that basically it, it causes the neutron to basically bounce around a little bit before it hits another uranium. So it kind of controls and slows down the exchange. In Russia, they didn't have that. So the faster that it went, the hotter it got. The hotter that it went, it caused the reaction to go even faster. So that's... Like Three Mile Island, they were able to control. They had a partial meltdown. It didn't get out of control because they had these moderators, too, that kind of helped control it going basically like a greenhouse effect inside the reactor where once this happened in Chernobyl, it was done. Like there was no way to stop it because it went so fast and so hot. And without any of the control rods in it, like they say at the end of it, it's like there was nothing to stop it. It's insane. Yeah, when they're doing that trial at the end and he's explaining the step-by-step process of how 
things worked scientifically in the reactor and led to it. it even though like everything on the cards was all in Russian and everything, I could still understand what he meant as he was like adding and removing things from that board. And, and that worked really, really well for me, but man, I could not believe those fucking three guys that they were on trial when we were leading into that episode, I, I was like, okay, yeah, these guys are kind of being railroaded a bit, but man, they I think they really did deserve to all be in, you know, to blame for at least partially to blame for that accident. Right. Cause like you said, I mean, they, they pushed that reactor to the point that there was nothing that could have been done anyway, even if it didn't have that critical failure with the, the, the graphite tips on the rods. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest problem they had was they removed the rods completely too. So it was like, they were playing with fire immediately. That guy, Dyatlov, the guy that was the, um, engineering head inside Chernobyl that was the one calling all the shots. There was, I don't, I don't remember if they said this in this documentary or not, but I, apparently like he, 20 years before this, he was in a nuclear submarine installing like um, reactor stuff. And there was an incident where he was given like twice the lifetime um, acceptable amount of radiation. So he should have almost died basically. And he went home a few years later, his his son was diagnosed with leukemia and passed away. So, like his whole, like his whole profession was he wanted to control the atom because it kind of was controlling him for a long time. So he was like just had this thing eaten away at him this whole time to where he just couldn't accept that he couldn't control it, which ultimately led to him making bad decisions here. Oh, wow. Yeah, because in the show, they definitely framed it all as like they were all basically wanting to do this just so that each one of them could get a promotion. Yeah, yeah, that was like a big driving element for the three of these guys. And then the one. Um, God, I can't I can't even pronounce his name. The The one guy who had the kind of like aliens hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? That guy, uh, he wanted to cover this up and would not accept it all the way to the, in the first episode, all the way to where the one guy went up and looked down into the reactor and came out and told him. Yeah. That's what he hit his melting point. It's like, these guys could have really done something to prevent all of this. And they, like, at least the one guy was kind of, Dyatlov was the one that they blamed for it. And this other guy's one they basically blamed for not really addressing it correctly and pushing the the whole experiment to begin with which come to find out like this experiment was supposed to be have done in the daytime by the most experienced like nuclear engineers and then they didn't want to like drop power to the city of kiev so they decided to do it at night because they needed the energy and to do the experiment they'd have to drop the power so that's how this it landed in this dude's lap so it's like he wasn't the most experienced person at that plant. He just happened to be the head guy that night. Wow. Which is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, like the human elements of this story are, are absolutely riveting. Like I, I can see why it's gotten such critical acclaim. And, you know, I, I can see how it got to sitting at the spot it did on IMDb, even though I do find even though I love the show and I think the show is amazing, it, it blows my mind a little bit that it's the top rated show of all time. But I mean, Hey, kudos. If it, if it gets more exposure out there and it gets more people to watch the show, then, then all the better. 
Yeah, because this ep- this show didn't have one episode where they didn't need it or it wasn't good or it was even bland to say the least. Like every episode was great. Agreed. Man, that one where it showed the soldiers in the way that they did that whole thing was so amazing. How it sh- really showed it through the eyes of the fresh recruit and the way that he's reacting to it and how he gets kind of teamed up with the old soldier that mentors him through all of it, but very gruffly. Yeah, that was uh, that was horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the mission that they had was absolutely horrible. But the human interaction between those two. And then the the Armenian guy that was, like, super silent until, like, kind of the end of the episode. Like, the way that he just conveyed things through just bo- his body language and stuff, it was so so good. And um, Yeah. Did, did you ever happen to read the book The Old Guard? It's a Greg no. Rucka comic book. No, I didn't. There is a fucking character that is in that book that the way he's drawn, like this character that played like the mentor type soldier, he should play that role in the old guard. Like they look fucking exactly the same. Like I'm watching the show. I'm like, Holy shit. That's that fucker with the big nose from old guard. Like absolutely to a T. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That dude was, that dude was great. That dude was great. And it's, it's, it's terrifying, but it's kind of, it's cool that they put it in there was like the the egg basket that they all wore (laughs) makeshift lead to go around their genitals so that they wouldn't be bombarded with nuclear radiation and sterilize them or have their, like you said, balls fall off or whatever it was. I was like, that is just fucking terrifying. (laughs) Could you imagine running around wearing like a lead diaper? No, no, that's, oh, there's no way. But that's funny. It's like that, that main kid that they brought in there, I I couldn't get out of my head that he looked just like the kid from Ready Player One. He did look like the kid from Ready Player One. (laughs) I was like, this is what this poor kid would have to do if he didn't have a VR set in his his single white trailer. I didn't put that together until you just said it, but you were on the money there, dude. It was, it was, man, this episode was really good too, because it, it didn't just show this hardened guy out there putting animals down. He was compassionate for the animals. Like his one rule was don't point the gun at me. Second rule, don't make them, don't let them suffer. So the guy, I mean, he's war tested. He's a stern guy. Like he's seen some stuff that like no one else would see, but he still had compassion for the animals because he knew they didn't deserve it. Like they, this was out of their control, and yet they're still they still have to be put down. It, I mean, I was okay with this episode. I was like watching most of it. I was like, I get it, I get it. it I'm trying to see the human side where this this kid has to put these animals down, and he shoots the one. And I was like, and that kind of shook me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't want to see animals die, and but it really didn't hit me until he stumbled across that dog that had a litter of puppies. And I was like, this one, that was a little much, but I'm, I'm glad they did put it in there because it kind of really showed you the, another side of the horror that this has caused. 
Absolutely. And and I like the way that they showed the progression up to that, too. It's that, you know, he, he struggles shooting that first one and then the guy comes over and finishes it off and gives him the talking to again. And then they're sitting there eating lunch. And and I also liked how all the soldiers had an unlimited vodka ration. Where yeah. it, it, at least the people up top were willing to admit we need to keep these guys good and well liquored up the whole time. Um, yeah. Doesn't something about having a bunch of liquor running through your body, isn't that a good way to ward off radiation sickness as well? That's what they said, but it like it wasn't like the sickness. They told the Russian people that like because vodka is Russian, that vodka would cleanse them of the radiation. <laughs> so they were like... <laughs> just drinking vodka because that's what they did i think the firefighters after they got back they gave them vodka to cleanse their body and in one of the documentaries i had seen the not the liquidators that we saw on the ground forces but the liquidators that were playing an active role to clean the graphite off the roofs Uh like not just the guys that went up there for the 90 seconds but the people who were there actively controlling and like in charge of that they were given vodka to cleanse themselves and there's a big celebratory kind of sit down that they all have and it's just like man these poor guys really think that this vodka is cleaning them and it's like yeah it's just getting them fucked up <laughs> See, the, but, the thing that i had heard it from was um and it was anecdotal at best the way i heard it but it was that uh, the doctors that were working on lots of like radiation related stuff after the um, uh, the nuclear bombs in in World War Two, that they basically stayed drunk, like they drank as much as possible just to like deal with everything that they were seeing, and there was like a lower cancer rate among them, and they thought that there might have been a correlation. But oh, that's weird. It's funny. It's like one thing they didn't put in this show that I'm they they it would have completely taken away from some of the elements in this particular episode was there were a lot of looters at this time going into these towns and cities and stuff and they would bribe the liquidators with more alcohol to let them go in there and loot the houses and not, and like kind of like uh, not say anything just let them in take what they can and then they would pay them off with alcohol. I suppose which, that's one way to bribe your way through, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's just, yeah, this guy, see this guy running out with a television set, and then, like, a couple of episodes <laughs> later, you see him with thyroid cancer. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what you get, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now half his living room is fucking radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You remember those old CR, those old cathode, cath, what are they, cathode raid tubes, CRT TVs, basically? Yeah. You remember sometimes you'd shut those off and it seemed like the screen was glowing still a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. those Chernobyl TVs, man. (laughs) They were like fucking nightlights. They had the first 4K in Chernobyl. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need Scott's 75-inch TV. Just go to Chernobyl and pick up a tube TV. 75-inch TV. Holy fuck. (laughs) Nobody told me that. I was like, that's insane. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds pretty yeah. awesome, though. <laughs> it does sound awesome. I wouldn't turn it down. Dude, I, I lived with that 27-inch TV for so long, though, that just jumping up to a 50-inch was like, it blew my fucking mind, and I'm still happy with it. Oh, for real. I, got, I switched <laughs> from like a... 
I thought I was the man. My wife went and bought a 36-inch flat-screen digital Sony that weighed about 150 pounds. And so I come home and I got this thing sitting in my in my in the floor. And I I have to put this on my entertainment center by myself. So I'm like, <laughs> oh fuck. So who knows? That might be where I started my back problems and just didn't know it. But no shit. I thought, I thought that TV was the bomb, and it was. All the way until it went out. Oh, that's a sad time when that happens. <laughs> Dude, speaking of stuff going out. So I wake up Friday morning. And yeah, here we go going away from Chernobyl again, but whatever. Um, I wake up Friday morning and I'm in the shower and I'm like, this is not, not where it should be. This is, this should be way hotter than this with where I've got the little dial in here. And so, yeah, sure enough, my hot water heater, I had to change one of the fucking heating elements in it. And so that's what I was doing at 6 a.m. Friday morning. Oh my God. Yep. And then, uh. Well, and luckily the water in it really wasn't hot anymore. It's just kind of lukewarm because like in my haste, I did not like hit like the pressure bleed valve. And so I just unscrewed the thing and when it cleared that last thread, like water sprayed out everywhere. And since we have hard water, it had like a, you know, little lime grit in it. Mm. And so yeah, all in my fucking eyes, all over in my beard and everything. Oh man. <laughs> that was not the way to start the fucking day. God, no. Oh, God. And then to top it all off, I find a fucking water pipe that had like a split in it and water was spraying out all over the basement also. Oh, God, no. (laughs) So then I was like, well, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to go to work and try to not think about this all day. (laughs) And then I'm going to do plumbing when I get off work. Fuck my life. (laughs) Fuck, that sucks. Yay, homeownership. (laughs) Man, we almost had to replace our fridge because my daughter had a birthday party over and apparently one of her friends was trying to get ice out of it and somehow she managed to take the the refrigerator and put it into display mode so everything worked except for the cooling element so like the next day we're like oh shit it doesn't work we're trying to figure everything out we couldn't figure it out and i was like fuck and i figured i was online googling i'm like i wonder if it's in display mode so i took it out and like sure enough it started to work i'm like oh thank god at least the one in the fridge the garage didn't work didn't go out because God knows I don't want to have to spray another radiation symbol on another refrigerator. So <laughs> You have a radiation symbol on your garage fridge? Yeah, and my wife is not happy about it. <laughs> as soon as it went out there, like three or four years ago, it went out in the garage. It started getting dusty. I was like, that black fridge would look really good with a yellow radiation symbol on it. And my <laughs> wife came home and goes, what the hell did you do to the fridge? I was like, oh, sorry. <coughs> oh, my gosh. The... The high school that I went to uh, has a really, really old metal sign that's still, like, on the the brick building. And it says Nuclear Fallout Center, and it has the big nuclear symbol on it and everything. That's terrifying. (laughs) Dude, you want to know what's whack? Is that I don't know if they're there anymore, but in the late 90s, there were signs... That as you were driving into Iowa City, you could see them. There were small signs, but you could pick them out, and it said "nuclear weapon free zone." So you could not bring your nuclear weapons into Iowa City. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> right? It's like who paid for these signs? Like, is this a problem? Was this happening a lot in the '90s, Iowa City? Did I just not hear about this because I was like a few minutes further north? That is so weird. Yeah, or or was it just because it was, you know, a college town? 
I have no idea. Well, I don't know. I went to when I went to San Luis Obispo. There's a nuclear power plant down there, and I saw it going in the the signs and stuff. And I was not even thinking about it. But me and my friend were having lunch on Saturday, and like out of nowhere, we just hear all the alarms going off. I was like, "Holy shit, dude! Is there something going on at the nuclear power plant?" And I was like, starting like actually panic. Like, dude, we gotta get the fuck out of here. He's like, "No, they do that. It's just testing to make sure they do it. They do it all the time." Like, well, if they do it all the time, how do you know when something goes bad? <laughs> it's like I don't know. Like, and ultimately, like, I'm like, oh, I guess it doesn't matter because if something goes goes wrong, you're you're gonna be dead anyway. <clears throat> oh man, it's scary because like I work in Livermore and I'm literally like a mile away from Lawrence Livermore Labs, so it's like if something goes wrong there, I'm hosed completely. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always think. Being so close to this fucking power plant here, and. You know, hey, one thing that was really rather disappointing about this whole Chernobyl accident was that not a single one of these fuckers got any superpowers <laughs> from this meltdown. So, I mean, in a very real way, this show shows that comic books are bullshit. <laughs> no, I guess, I guess you're right. Unless the, like losing your hair is a superpower, but unless it was just like ear hair, maybe one guy, one guy, maybe. Got out of there where all he does is lose his nose hair and ear, ear hair. So that's a superpower. <laughs> well, then I'm starting to manifest a superpower then, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I got one little spot that's starting to thin up front. And it's no. like when my hair is like really short, like if I cut it with like a like a number two or number three. Because I always just give myself buzzes with the with clippers myself. But yeah, if I do if I do it short enough, there's been two or three times now where my mom's like, "Oh, did you like go too low with the clippers right there?" It's like, "No, that's where it's thinning." This is the third time now you've pointed this out, mother, and I'm sensitive about it. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I get to hear it all the time too. So, uh, it's just part of growing up, I guess. Yeah. yeah, there's some old guys with heads full of hair and some without. Yeah, I, I heard it has something to do with, like, your brain power. The more brain activity you have, the less hair you have. I'm just going to go with that. Okay, that's bullshit. Have you ever seen pictures of Albert Einstein? He had a mega fro. Well, I just heard it because I just said it, and I heard myself <laughs> say it, So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, man. God. Man, oh. yeah, we just kind of earlier glossed over that with the the 90 seconds thing, but the way that they took care of that, the roof that was the most dangerous by just sending teams of three guys in and they had 90 seconds to toss as much shit off the roof as possible and then get back. I mean, that was, Oh, that was really intense to watch. Wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've seen videos of them doing it and they, it was so true to the actual video. And from what I read, uh, I, I listened to the HBO Chernobyl podcast, too. They did a podcast with the creator. We watched 90 seconds on there. So the whole time we were watching those guys up there, that's as long as anyone was up there, period. And we got to see it, like, firsthand. That's the, it, and it was terrifying. Now, how about the guy who stood up there the entire time ringing the bell? He's like, no, I'm okay. I'm in this shack. Yeah, I don't... Fuck. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You walk outside this door and it's dangerous as fuck. But just inside this very open doorway, 
I'm safe to just ring my bell every 90 seconds. Give the same boring fucking speech over and over again. Thank you for your service. Slap you on the ass and send you back down the stairs. Yeah. And I couldn't tell like it's Oh man. Cuz it's all, a lot of it like when you like nuclear war from like Hiroshima and stuff. It was the amount of rems plus the time you were exposed and all that stuff. So he must have been shielded to a certain extent by the concrete or something. It's the only thing I can think of. Like the type of radiation that must have been going through there must have been like super strong, like alpha and beta and not as much gamma. Not that I guess the average person knows what all that is. (laughs) Like I sure as shit don't. (laughs) All right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> oh man. Um oh what was the what's the other one that really fucking blew my mind? Oh, the fact that when they were talking about they were gonna have to tear up all the topsoil over like hundreds of thousands of square feet and turn it over. Like, did they actually do all that shit? God I don't know how much they did do of that. I think they did a little bit, but most of it was they were, they came up with some weird concoction of like boron and latex. And they like, do you saw the guys with the tanks on their backs, just hosing shit down? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they were like pouring, shooting stuff in the atmosphere. They were dropping it from helicopters, squirting it everywhere. Cause it like caused the particles to like clump together and fall to the ground and stop it from creating radioactive dust. So that was like the biggest thing that they were trying to do was they went that direction. Because, like, there's no way. If you would have tried to, you know how much dust and just just shit you would put into the air and the atmosphere just by digging a hole? It would have been astronomical. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's, oh, man. It was, like, so eerie as you you see these guys with full suits going around with the Geiger counters, and they come across that bike, and it just lights up with radiation. Oh, I know. Like, well, and then my first thought was how the fuck did this weird how did how did this bike get in the middle of this field? This super radioactive bike that I don't know. It was it was both creepy and mysterious to me. Yeah. Yeah, someone must have just I don't know. Maybe it could have been one of those people from the death bridge that like rode up and then tried to go home and realized that yeah, I'm not going home. Oh my that, god, all oh, that was uh, terrible seeing all those people on the bridge at the end of the first episode. And all this radioactive ash is landing on them like freshly fallen snow. Yeah, the kids were playing in it. It that's just oh. a lot of this was really hard to watch because it's like I, I knew about a lot of it. Like I knew about the death bridge, how everyone went up there to watch the reactor, and like they all died. And to watch my wife's like they got to get out of there. They're gonna die. I'm like yeah, they're gonna die. It's then to see, it's one thing to see the two adults, but they had babies and strollers. Yeah. That no one knew any better. And it's and that was terrifying. God, but it's like it's one of those things you have to do because like that it really displays the um the the I don't really want to say ignorance of the people because they didn't really know what was going on, but had they it's the, really the government. Had they said something to people or evacuated them, this whole a lot of this stuff just could have been avoided. At least those people, they could have just evacuated and left. And instead, they're trying to watch the lights, which I'm sure were beautiful as the you know, oxygen being ionized. You don't get to see that every day. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I mean, it must have looked more or less like just a shot of northern lights going straight up. Yeah, that that first episode when they first showed it, it was beautiful. It was, it was awesome. I don't know. I don't. There's not really not a word for it. You can't really say awesome. And you can't say fantastic because it's terrifying. But as a spectacle, it it was a really beautiful shot. I, uh, you just because uh, there there haven't been any photographs or anything of the actual ex- fire going on that I've seen on the internet at all anywhere. I'm sure all of that's been suppressed. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it, if if even a tenth of of the the cover up factor that they portrayed in the series, you know. If that's the way it was in real life, then... Whew. Yeah. There was a f- uh, photographer that videotaped... I don't know if you've seen video of a helicopter flying around the Chernobyl reactor. But mm. there was a there was a reporter, and he knew at least enough that he knew that had he gone up there, he was going to die. But he thought it was so important. I, can't, I didn't get his name written down. I don't remember what it was. But he went up nonetheless and photographed. And there are spots in the video where you see... Like, it basically looks, you know, dead, black and white, almost kind of grainy. But there are spots you can see bright red uh, graphite melting. So you can see inside, like, the core as he's flying around. And it's it's terrifying that you're like, this, that one shot alone is going to kill this guy. And he continued to take a lot of aerial shots of the reactor after it had already exploded that second time. Wow. And but, then, oh man, speaking of the helicopter, when we see that one go right over, goes right over the top of it, and it basically mm-hmm. just makes the helicopter blades fall apart. Yeah, that guy, he, he hit something. He, it's like they went over that and he clipped something on there. Like it, like, I don't, if you rewatch it, he clips like a, a power, not a power line, but some cable that goes across. Like going through that just completely fucked them up to where they couldn't even fathom what they were doing up there and they flew right into something but oh that, that's that's terrifying too <laughs> bad deal man but it's a it's, you know it's an easier way to go that way right no no kidding right <laughs> <laughs> better than going and like one of the guys in the hospital that had the plastic little fucking <clears throat> tents around their beds and shit at the end like ugh. yeah you know what those fucking guys looked like? It looked like when on Mythbusters they would make an entire body out of ballistics gel. Yeah. Like it oh. was gross. <laughs> really fucking gross. That the, they that one guy when um whatever her name is Yolanda was doing an interview with him and his nose starts to just bleed. Oh. That guy was terrifying. And yeah. the acting the guy did too. It's like you could tell that he was just—he just looked like he was just ready to die. And and it's it's so horrible. Like so many guys, I think it was thirty-five of the of the rescue workers died that same way that night. And then for them to encase them in what was it, zinc um, coffins, and then just have their funeral, and then back up a cement truck in the middle of the funeral to to bury them in cement was just. And oh, it's crazy. So, yeah, it's so scary to realize that, that just their bodies alone after being out there is 
so dangerous that you can't just put it into a coffin, but you have to put it into a zinc coffin and pour cement all over it. Yeah, and they, like, soldered them shut. Yeah, wow. it was so insane. It was Well, it was the same thing with the pets. They gathered the, the carcasses of all the animals that they shot, and they did the same thing with them. Just buried it all in cement. That is... Yeah, yeah that's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, like, this is for sure not a feel-good <laughs> thing, but, I mean, it, it's... It, the acting in it is so good. The camera work in it is, is amazing. And and it's just a very, very compelling story. And, you know, bravo to HBO, being that this is kind of the... It's not a continuing series or anything, but for them to... This was basically the first thing they dropped after Game of Thrones was finishing up, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, pretty strong. I mean, it's obviously... It wouldn't work to be a continuing series or anything like that, but bravo. Bravo, mm-hmm. HBO. Well done with this one. Yeah. I'm wondering if they would actually consider doing, like, a Fukushima one, because there's a lot of political things that happened in Japan during that that obviously we didn't learn our lesson too incredibly well. Yeah, I I would be interested in seeing that, for sure. Yeah. Or even, like, the Three Mile... Even Three Mile Island wasn't... It wasn't nearly anything like this. It's just we happened to be in America, and it was 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 the worst nuclear event in America. I guess you could say. So yeah, it was nothing nearly as this. So I, if they just touch base on some of these other ones, just having like another episode, I would love to see another episode of just something. I wonder if there'll be a renewed interest in, in, in this sort of stuff. And if we'll even maybe even get to see like a new doc or something like that, that, that would cover, you know, if not a, a dramatic, you know, recreation of the events or whatever. Yeah, there would it would be nice to see that because like a lot of the, um, the environmental effects take, you know, up decades to really unfold, and then the health effects and the political, um, like, just refugee type situations. A lot of these people got into just as a result of moving and being from Pripyat that those people had horror stories or the number of people that just couldn't really handle going to other places and being treated the way they were that they actually migrated back into the exclusion zone that live there now. It's like, there's a lot of like geopolitical stories you can tell that are there. You can't do it in this show. You, there's no way you could put it in there. It would take away from so much that this, that this actually gave us, but it impacted so many people that those, some of those stories, it would be compelling to hear about and to, and for them to tell it. Yeah. I would really like to see a a follow-up documentary. And and like you said, it really wouldn't have worked in this because I mean, this was absolutely a period piece. So they were capturing that, that, you know, the, the current events of 1986 and seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. They did, they did such a good job too. Cause it's like every, piece of clothing every little piece of technology terminology it was it fits so much of the soviet time in the in the 80s too like they did a really good job playing it all out plus it looked 
having them do their sets and everything at actual like hospitals and stuff in the area really played really well. It's like I didn't think that they would be able to get away with it, but they did. I would I would think that they would be making um, whole sets and stuff here, where instead they would go there and and film stuff there, which was really cool. Were they actually going into the exclusion zone at all to film any of this? I guess I didn't follow up that close on any of it. Not necessarily the exclusion zone, but like the, the hospitals and stuff were from that area. Um, I don't know how much they took from actual Chernobyl. A lot of that was like CGI re- rendering and stuff like that. But like a lot of the actual sets that um, that they were at, the hospitals and things like that were were straight from there. The, the last hearing where they had the hearing wasn't because that was like at the Chernobyl Civil, uh, Civic Center, which is completely decimated now, overgrown. I thought it was strange that they would go back to there to have the trial. Yeah. Like they knew what what danger it was, but they still went back there nonetheless. They're stupid hubris <laughs> is what it was. Right. Like no, we're gonna have your trial back in the in the hot spot. (laughs) Bad idea. Well, this was oh man, this was Reactor Four, right? Yeah. Okay, Reactor One was decommissioned in the eighties. I'm sorry, the nineties. Reactor Three, which was the second to the newest, it it was running into the early two thousands. Like it was operating. They had people going to work at this at this facility still operating those other three reactors because they needed the energy. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, there's just, they just <laughs> didn't have the technologies for other types of energy sources or power sources. And then with the fall of the Soviet Union, like the Ukraine couldn't sustain the cost of Chernobyl. They couldn't sustain, you know, the energy crisis. So they just had to keep it going. And that's, uh, I mean, at least wow. you're a couple miles away because the way it the way it was set up is like it's like they weren't like right next to each other. The control centers, like those guys that are in the actual control center for Unit Four, they don't explode when it goes up, but they feel it. Yeah, yeah, it isn't like the control rooms like right on top of where it's at. Yeah, yeah, that's it's man, it's terrifying to know that this this huge explosion, this huge nuclear event, and they. Was it like 120 square kilometers or something was completely just evacuated and it's just you can't go there without like proper clearance. Yet there's these other three reactors we're just going to keep running because we need the energy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I saw the one, you know, life after people where they went back and they showed all the buildings being overgrown with plants and and the the effects on, you know, water on concrete and stuff like that. And uh, the other one I saw, funny enough, was the show River Monsters, where that guy goes and tries to catch big fish in fresh water and stuff. And he was fishing for catfish, like, in, like, the fucking ponds that are right next to the power plant. And so This he, one or another one? This one. Like, he oh was wearing a fucking Geiger counter and everything. You could see the fucking power plant for Chernobyl in the background. And it was, like, these big like ponds that were like, you know, artificial ponds that were next to there that I guess there's really, really big fucking catfish in there. And he was fishing for them. Yeah. Well, there was stories like when this event happened, like there was, um, one of the workers who was off that night was fishing 
in one of the lakes where they spew out some of their wastewater. And because the wastewater comes out warm and attracts the fish, and that's what this dude just did was fish right in the wastewater because it was warm and it attracted the fish. I'm like, you literally work at a nuclear facility. You really think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I hope they're not fucking eating that fish, right? Oh, man. You, you never know. I saw another documentary that was um, one of the women that moved back to the um, exclusion zone. She made her own moonshine, made her own. She grew rice, and she was bragging about how she had, like, thousands of acres to herself that she could just grow whatever she wanted. And it's like, Wow. That's that's incredible. But I wouldn't need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I don't know. I wonder how long that lasts before she dies of fucking cancer of some sort. I don't know. She was in her... I think she was in her 70s, and the documentary was... God, it was done in the early 2000s. So she's been there for a while. She just must have gotten a spot where they didn't have a lot of fallout. So Ah, uh, good point. I'm. It's so patchy, though. There's. It's like rolling the dice. I would not roll the dice. Yeah, definitely don't want to roll your roll the dice on something like that, right? Right. Right. Ugh, too scary. But at least the move. This show did end on a on a good point where the um, the woman who lost her baby. They they did point out like they kept up with her, and I've seen her in another documentary. The actual woman. Um, that she at least had another child when the doctor said she couldn't. Yeah, yeah, that really was about the only ray of hope that went through that and and the the tapes that we see Legasov making at the beginning before he hangs himself, that those were eventually kind of the copies of it like proliferated through the scientific community of the Soviet Union and and they were able to get the remaining reactors all retrofitted so that the you know, that same sort of mistake couldn't happen again. And it seems fucking insane that they had to push the government to do that. And it's like you, all this embarrassment and everything, like just look at it from, from their point of view is, you know, from them, they were probably more annoyed that they were embarrassed on the world stage more than anything else. And it's like, okay, wouldn't that be enough motivation to immediately retrofit, quietly retrofit your remaining reactors? Right. I mean, yeah, it wasn't though. It took this guy's actual suicide from a lot of accounts, not just that like his his tapes. It was a combination of his tapes and then his actual suicide for them to even do it because the scientific community was in such an uproar. It's, so, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy to me. Wow, yeah. but I mean that like, that just leads more into the the human element of this story. And the uh, part of what makes it so unbelievable is that it's a very believable part of human nature and that if you get enough people that want to just say no, or if you get even a small amount of people in there in the, the right position to be telling people who even know better, no, this is not happening. Do your job. Man, wow. Just that last yeah. episode with the stuff that, that came through in the trial on just how bad that Dyatlov guy fucked up that shit with, that led to, you know, just insisting that they do that test and everything. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, the whole time that was going on, it's funny. Like, cause the whole time that they're talking about the test and as the tests 
kind of going on. I'm my wife's like, so what's going on? I'm trying to explain to her like, you know, the they're pulling the control rods out so the neutrons are going to bounce around even faster and it's going to get hotter and it's going to get out of control and they're going to turn the water down because the water causes steam and steam causes electricity so you turn that down and like all this like this like the actual engineering of it and she calls my son in my son's like what and she's like just just watch this up the scene so i'm like all right she'll know just keep explaining it so i'm explaining how everything's unfolding and my my son's like, did you take nuclear engineering in college? I'm like, no, I'm just crazy. <laughs> so, it's fun. Yeah, so the, it's, it's amazing how the, the whole thing is going on, and you know, and I mean, at least after the fact, because of the design flaw, you know that this is impossible. Yeah, he's so stubborn, and he won't stop. He has to keep bullheadedly push forward and blame everybody else in the control room. Yeah, that, that's some guy that needs to take some fucking ownership, right? Right. It's, oh, man. <laughs> and they're all warning him, like, all the way through. And there's accounts, like, that's not even dramatization. Like, those guys confessed on their dead be- deathbeds, and, and some of them that actually still survived were talking about, like, that's how it was. And this guy had a reputation of being that guy. And it's like, oh, fuck. So that yeah. guy just, yeah. That's terrible. And it also, the, the, the way that it wrapped up at the end, how it showed a lot of the historical footage and, and gave some of the, you know, kind of the, I don't want to call them fun facts, but that's more or less what they were, right? Um, right. I, I thought it was fucking tragic that that guy lived as long as he did. It's like, oh, fuck, he should have been the guy looking like the, the crash test dummy or whatever. Yeah, because he lived like, what, five years more? No, wait, that was... Boris lived five years more. But yeah, he lived a few years before ultimately dying. Because he kept complaining about getting the bullet. And it's like, yeah, you got the bullet already. They're not going to pull the trigger. They know you're going to die. <sighs> yeah, so, I mean, while I'm not in a massive hurry to rewatch this right away, um, I know for sure I'll rewatch it at some point and enjoy the hell out of it again, but... Um, as far as content goes, it's on the heavy side for sure. Yeah, this is not like, <sighs> there are probably two episodes you could watch back to back, but like you could not binge this show at all, especially no. <laughs> after like episode, I think after episode one, I could roll right into episode two, but that's it. Like I couldn't watch another episode again after, especially after episode four. That was probably the hardest one. Yeah, I, I think I binged three and four together. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see three into four. In in that, yeah, that was enough for me. It's, I don't know, four is a heavy episode. But, um, whew, what a good series, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm surprised that they did a piece like this to be honest because it just doesn't seem in in at least right now because like as green energy goes and we're looking at solar we're we're looking to get away from coal but going to renewable resources and i know obama was really big on nuclear and trump is big on nuclear that i'm surprised that they would do a, a show like this to spotlight the dangers of of what could happen with nuclear. 
Yeah. Any anything like this that if you can find backdoor ways to educate people, all the better. And and I feel like this was one of those shows that was very educational. And and so as a very backdoor way, people are gonna be learning stuff about nuclear power plants and stuff, or or at least these kind that were, you know, operating in the Soviet Union in the eighties. Yeah. My my daughter's definitely learned a lot from it. She's been intrigued by this and she honestly cannot believe that it's like real. Like it really happened and it really happened this way. And it's like, yeah, it really happened like this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we can we can kind of switch gears a little bit and maybe try and talk about something a little bit more fun. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so the last time we got to hang out was at uh, C2E2 this last year in Chicago, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. You brought your wife this year. Yep, yep. And uh, Lindsay was super overwhelmed at first going in to the con, and dude, I was too. It was it was funny is that we ran into you in the lobby before we were even checked into our room, and so we were just hanging out, and you're like, dude, it's bad in there. <laughs> you oh. were not fucking lying. <laughs> Yeah, like last year was all, last year was all right. This year it was, man, it was busier than I think ever before. It's it's like I imagine San Diego Comic Con probably is. Uh, see, in this year, because last year was my first con going going last year, and then this year I had more of a plan going in, and that and a lot of that plan was going to be I want to go up and down Artist Alley, like I want to. And especially since as many books as we've been covering on number one comic books and stuff, there was so many different creators that it was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I read that guy's number one, or maybe there's something coming up that, that I'm looking forward to. And and it was hard to even walk up and down Artist Alley. It was, it was crazy. And I remember at one point, some dude that, I don't know who he was, but he was wearing an Artist Alley badge, like just started yelling at all of us to get out of the way. He's like, he's like, you're standing when you should be moving. Get out of the way. And it's like, dude, nobody around us is moving. What the fuck do you expect? You and your handful of fucking pencils. Stick them up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, I'm ready to just go back to the hotel room and just wait to go to the bar with all the leftover army people tonight. Because really, I don't know. It might be sacrilegious to say this, but I have more fun at that than the fucking con. <laughs> Uh, this year, I would almost have to agree. Oh, well, I'm not even almost. I would agree. Like last year, some people had costumes. We, we did a scavenger hunt, and it wasn't as busy for one. But yeah, this year, I didn't go down Artist Alley, and I really wanted to. I just I went down to talk to Greg Smith, and I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I went through the vendor. The vendor area was a lot easier, so I, that's mostly what we did walk around there but oh, man it was so busy yeah no we 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 went up and down a handful of aisles um i had it on my agenda to go stop by greg's table and it ended up just being so busy that we just left the artist alley area in general and because it seemed like it wasn't near as busy like walking around through all the different merchandise booths and and i really didn't do that so much last year so we got to see a lot of really cool stuff doing that yeah, I didn't even buy much this year. So I went, spent all the time looking and very little time buying anything. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know if I bought my, anything either. I don't even know where my time went, This, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know what? I do remember. Okay, fr- Friday when we got there, we met up. There was a small gathering, and Neil was like, hey, who? I'm going to get a beer. Who wants a beer? I'm like, I want a beer. And have you, I had a kind bar and a Starbucks for breakfast, and that was it. <laughs> and it was like 11% alcohol. Holy so shit, beers, that's a strong beer. Got two beers, and I was feeling it all day long. And, of course, I had like a third while we were there, and then we went out that night. So, yeah, it was man, that wasted my Friday. And then Saturday we did the leftover army monsters giant podcast all out attack there's a shameless plug with uh <laughs> with hepner and uh, amanda so we watched uh we did a mystery science theater kind of on a, a ultraman movie in our in our room oh that's and fantastic after, i remember you guys i ran into you before that and you were all talking about doing that it sounded fun oh it was a lot of fun but then again i went and bought a um Japanese whiskey for us to all drink since it was we were going to be watching a Japanese kaiju film and then it <laughs> derailed pretty quickly. <laughs> I didn't listen to that. I've listened to um oh man, a handful of you guys' episodes. Basically, if it if it's a movie that I recognize, like yeah, th- then I've listened to you guys cover it and I and I love you guys' episodes. They're so much fun. Now, yeah, they're I, I a lot of look, fun. Oh, sorry. I was going to say I need to look for this one now. Though. Oh my god. <laughs> This one derailed, like, this is, like, when our podcast kind of made a turn, where we were going, like, scene by scene on movies. Now we're kind of out all over the place talking about the movie in general. So it took, we've gone from being, like, a four-hour podcast, about an hour and a half movie, down to about an hour and a half, two hours. So it's a lot quicker. But this one was, like, oh, I don't know. Because Dan likes, he's real, he really wants to have everybody feel the same way he feels about a lot of these shows. And this one, it was, a, it was ridiculous. It was like Ultraman. It was an Ultraman movie. I love Ultraman, but Ultraman's ridiculous. Amanda loves Ultraman. <laughs> Dan does. So it's like, it was a very important part of his childhood and it's an important part of mine, but may, you know, I really, you could, you can hear in his voice a little bit that he got a little bit upset as, you know, I had Googled and found an Ultraman porn and, me and Amanda and my wife were drunk watching it on the bed while we were watching Ultraman. <laughs> I remember you saying something about that at the bar afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's my fault. I take full responsibility for that. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. It had something to do with you couldn't tell genitals because they're Ultraman. And I was like, oh, well, there's got to be something on the Internet. Sure enough, the Internet did not let us down. It upset Dan a little bit because he was drinking a little bit, too. So he was very easily swayed to being frustrated with me. But yeah, <laughs> it was a good episode. I'll definitely be checking that one out. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love Dan. That guy's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love Dan. He's awesome. This last, this like, just being on this podcast because we all kind of chat a little bit before and after, and then we chat in a little week, like our Facebook message group before we do things, and it's like it's funny because like he goes to bed before any of us, and he's because of the time zone. But Amanda doesn't have to get up as early, so she's up, and I'll be like tech chatting something to her 
about the show that we're watching today, it, it derails pretty quick too. Just the chat group because usually it's like if, if it's something ridiculous, I'll, I'll have to have something to drink while I'm watching it to kind of loosen up and, and be able to see it for what it is. And so those usually get pretty ridiculous. And he wakes up the next day and he's like reading his chat like, like what the fuck did I miss? What's going on here? <laughs> Oh man, I love that he's like the the knowledgeable straight man, and and Amanda's kind of like the the new to a lot of these movies coming in. <laughs> and you're kind of the, the comic cleanup on it as well. You guys have got a very good vibe with it, and I love that you've all stuck together as a group with these because, like, that's one of the things I love so much about doing the number one comic book podcast is that, you know, me and and Brian and and Rebecca and Rod and we. Like if when we first set off doing it, we were like, you know, oh, it's no big deal. If, if if somebody's sick one week, you know, that that's no big deal. You know, we don't need to have all four of us for every show. But we've done so many of them with all four of us that we all like the way it works that way. And so we have broken that one rule for ourselves plenty of times where if, if someone's not feeling good or whatever, it's like everyone in the group more or less says, no, we're going to, we're going to postpone recording until we're all feeling it because this is best when it's all of us in the same group. And in when you got a good group like that with a podcast and everybody's willing to work with each other and, and keep after it. And in your case, watch the movies in our case, you know, read the different comic books and, and come prepared and ready to do an episode and, and then the conversations before and after the recording are always pure gold, right? Because, because at the end of the day, it's a group of friends that are just all bullshitting. And, and in our cases, it's really special because we're not in the same room, but we're all still really good friends. And we have those, those deep conversations and stuff, whether they're being recorded or not. Yeah, because we've gotten, we've gotten really close to where I've been able to share things. And, every, and like they've both been able to share things and we're there to help support each other, whether it just be listener to give advice or to just let somebody kind of get it out. It's, it's really good. And like we get to share, like Dan was talking, I don't remember which podcast he was talking about, but he, he, it was one we both had watched, listened to. It had something to do with somebody witnessing him going into a full fledged meltdown. In <laughs> <San Diego>. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> So we were talking about that for a good time. So he he was talking his way out of why it was, why he had the meltdown and why it's not you know it's always somebody else's fault in traffic. And it's like he was <laughs> trying to rectify why he was having it. I'm like, dude, I commute in traffic and see it all the time. You don't have to explain yourself to me at all. No, he had such a good reason for being that pissed. <laughs> 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 to me, the craziest part of it was that it was like, like there's this, you know it's this it's this convention in fucking Chicago and it's just sea of people and fucking cars everywhere and traffic chaos. And out of all of it, there's somebody that I happen to fucking know right in the car next to me. And not only that, but they're having a severe fucking anger moment. <laughs> so, wow. It was, Oh my God. It was special. <laughs> but then, oh my yeah, God. but yeah, he, I mean, Dan was right there with you when I was talking to you in the lobby. And so it was like, hey, you made it in good. And uh, yeah, you were you told me this story in the lobby, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was cracking up. Yeah, you get so to funny. hear it like 30 minutes after it happened or something. Yeah, you you look like you 
like a child at Christmas morning. You were so happy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I would be happy too. I've seen so many meltdowns that it cracks me up. And I've had so many meltdowns that it cracks somebody else up, I'm sure, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, traffic meltdowns. You know, with do you have the, the phenomena of people driving golf carts around on the fucking street around where you live? No. We're, we're, I, I live in a really big, big town, though. God, it, well, I live in a really small town, and people fucking just drive golf carts around everywhere here, which is fine, except for when you're on the road and there's a real car behind you. Like, get the fuck over. You're not driving a real car. You're driving a fucking golf cart. Don't drive it in the middle of the road and be all cocky like, yeah, it's a car and I can hang at a 25 mile an hour speed limit. No, you're not. Get the fuck out of the way. Wow. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm turn this into a hate cast real fucking quick if I don't slow down. <laughs> I've always wanted to live in a town where I could drive a golf cart around town. I'm not going to lie. I would totally be that dude. But my golf cart would be awesome. It would look like a warthog or something from Halo. I'd customize it. So if I'm in the way, people would be like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> I would actually really like to see what you would do with a golf cart. Oh, my wife won't let me have one, but I would love it. <laughs> well, probably because you can't drive it around your neighborhood, right? What are you going to do with it? I, I play golf. <laughs> Not regularly, but enough to where I would like want to get a golf cart to turn it into something fun. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Bad thing is I would do something with it and i'd be like well i this is my batmobile golf cart i guess i better dress like batman to play golf that would be fantastic you would make a batmobile golf cart that would be pretty awesome <laughs> so would you put like the turbine thing on the back yeah if i did it it would be to it would probably be in a golf cart it would be like the 66 batman golf uh, batmobile yeah, i wouldn't do the 89 nice and would it have the flames coming out the back and everything no, you gotta put your balls back there. I'd have a little <laughs> fan back there, maybe with some streamers. Make it look like I'm like legitimately like, yeah, put a propane tank back there and just let that sucker go. You'd have a fan with some streamers. <laughs> oh my god, that would be super cool. God, now I need to go find a golf cart. Oh, There's a fuck. dealer right up the road. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, I I kind of jumped into the trying to 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 make some cosplay stuff out of eva foam for a while and fuck dude it has to be like perfect or it doesn't work at all i've i've been working on some stuff this last week and it's driving me freaking bonkers yeah i made i made two helmets i used the who's the evil guy that puts templates out evil ted evil ted yeah. yes so i used his uh it's like a paladin helmet maybe template it, it looks like the Mega Man helmet to me yeah I used that one and it was way too big for the person I made something for see I made two of them and they fit my heads or they fit my kids' heads perfect um, but the one see the one I made like 90 degree cuts on everything on the foam and then on the other one I made like slight in cuts on the foam and so like the one where I did the in cuts for every single joint or like the slight angled cuts instead of just 90 degree ones like that one fits a lot tighter. But then that helmet's also a little bit more angular shaped, whereas the ones where I had the straight cuts, it had, it ended up with more of the rounded shape of what it was supposed to be. So 
And then the next one I did, I, I didn't size the templates correctly before I printed them. And so I ended up making like a half a helmet and it ended up being like the size of a fucking basketball. And I was like, well, this isn't going to fit on anybody's head. And then I was like fully discouraged and I haven't done anything with it. <laughs> like since there's just this weird foam bowl out in my garage now. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I use that same template for my friends. Like, uh, what is she like eight or nine year old? I made her some, I don't know, some anime, something rather for dragon ball. And it doesn't fit her. And I keep thinking, Oh, I'll make her a new one. And I just, I am the worst friend ever. I just haven't made a new one for her yet. <laughs> like, well, it's a, it's a display piece. Be happy with it. Right. I ended up spending three bucks like two weeks ago and I bought a pattern off of some dude on Etsy because I like watched his video. And I after the at the end of the video, I'm like, I would think I would have caught this before, but I realized that this is a real shitty pattern. You're just really good at painting, dude, because it looks the paint job is phenomenal. And I, and I made it and I was like, yeah, this looks awful. And I will rewatch the video. I'm like, yep, yeah, pretty awful. So I had to recustomize it myself to make it look decent because I'm, I'm making jared gafford from um comic book hq podcast shameless plug uh <laughs> a red a red hood helmet because i made him one that got destroyed in his move so i'm remaking him one so i'm making a couple variations of it so he can pick which one he wants and i'll send him one or two so he can wear it when he goes to his convention since he's a comic book dude that's too bad his other one got destroyed. That, that was that that first one you made him was really cool. Oh this oh man this other one that I just made I thought was way better, but I'll send you some pictures of it. It's pretty cool. But he's got, I think his head's a little bigger than mine. So man, scaling this stuff it's like so it's so difficult. But it's it's kind of like people that paint miniatures, I guess. How it, they say it's soothing, and for me it is to be able to just sit down and craft something. It, it, re- it reinvigorates my brain a little bit to where I'm not as lethargic. I'm not as just bummed out, so to say. It kind of sparks something in there. So whether no, it turns out or not, it, it helps. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in that everybody should have a thing because you should have something like that you can do with your hands, you can do with your mind, just something, you know, you, you just need to have a thing. And in your case, if it's something that, you know, I mean, like you said, you have you're having moments where, you know, there's maddening parts of the process and stuff. But I mean, I've seen pictures I, I've seen, you know, up close in person stuff that you've done before. And, and you are really fucking good at it, dude. And so, like, when you get those finished products and, you know, they, that's got to be a good feeling of pride to look at and be like, hell yeah. But for for me, I'm the sort of person to where when I finish things like that, like I tend to like all stare at everything that I hated about it. <laughs> and that'll be the shit that I focus on instead. Yeah. That, unfortunately that's like one of the things I, I did one like, Oh shoot. Last year, as a matter of fact was here. Yeah. Here's a sad story. So like I was on vacation for Memorial day cause I took the week off to celebrate my birthday and I was like, oh, I'll just take the whole week off. And that's when, like, the supervisor at my work passed away, and he and I were pretty good friends. And I was kind of in, like, denial and didn't really accept it because I wasn't at work, so I didn't have to see it every day. And I spent the whole week just doing a whole Deathstroke 
armor set. I was going to make one piece, redo it for the costume that I had. And I ended up doing the entire thing. And it was so therapeutic to just be able to do it. And at the end of it, I, I, it's probably like one of the better things that I've done to be able to finish it off and be like, yeah, this looks not bad. It looks pretty good. And I, I and I, it's just one of those things where I've never looked at that as picking apart the flaws because it was almost like um, it helped me get through kind of a rough week. So something like that. I, that one I never did. But when I went back to this last week, making stuff like as, as decent as I thought some of the stuff came out, I did nothing but look at the flaws in it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the creator's curse sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like you even said you liked Jared's. I like I didn't like Jared's helmet that much. So I'm hoping this next one's even better. <laughs> I don't know if I got to see that one in person. I'm thinking that that he wore that one to C2E2 the year before I went. But I saw lots of pictures of it online. And when you were working on it and stuff too, I think you had um, kind of some process pictures up of that one. And yeah, I thought it was great, man. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm going to put up some more process pictures of this last couple. I did a couple last week, and I'll put some more up this weekend when I get done, probably tomorrow. So, yeah, I'll send, I'll send, I'll send you something. I just don't know what to send you because I know your kids have already got Mjolnir and Stormbreaker now. <laughs> yeah, my so the the Stormbreaker one I ordered off. Well, I ordered them both off Amazon, but the the Stormbreaker one is like a hollow molded plastic. But mm. the Mjolnir one is like actual prop size, but it's like all foam. Oh man, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> they had one at C two E two a Stormbreaker that was foam, but it was almost life size. And I was like, oh, I want it so bad because it's like you could, I could legitimately come home and call my kid down the stairs and just chuck him in the gut with it, and everything would be fine. Yeah, and he. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten there with my kids yet, but I can see it. <laughs> oh, no. I specifically hand it to him. I'm like, it's foam. It doesn't mean you can throw it or hit each other with it. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't care what it's made of. If you gave me Stormbreaker or Mjolnir, I would take my brother out. <laughs> my eight-year-old man, he loves his fucking Stormbreaker, though. He runs around everywhere with it, holding it up in the air and stuff. And then, since I told him that, I was like, that one's the the molded hollow plastic. I'm like, if you throw this, it'll ruin it. You know, it'll chip up the paint. You might even crack the plastic and then, you know, there's no fix in it. And, and so he's been really good about not throwing it. And I was like, I'll make you a foam one that you can throw. And so I, I took some of my leftover EVA foam and I just laid that stormbreaker on top and then just took a Sharpie and traced it out and then cut out two of those patterns. And, uh, I had a, a really old backpack that I got that had the metal stays for the internal frame. And it was just the right size to go down the handle of the Stormbreaker and give it some rigidity. And so then I just used the barge foam and just glued the two halves together with that little piece of metal in between. And so it gave it some rigidity. And and then I went through and cleaned up all the edges and everything. And I did it so, you know, when you get those EVA and it's just the, the floor mats. Yeah. And sometimes it's got like the like that rough pattern that would give it a little bit of traction for your feet when you're walking on it. 
Yeah. I did a Stormbreaker one, so the rough stuff was on the outside on both sides. And so it's got kind of a cool look to it. But oh, wow. That's it, pretty tough stuff. <laughs> it's definitely rough looking, though, but that's the one you can go and throw around. I'm like, this one is fine. You throw this. Because <laughs> that stuff's got some strength to it. He could do some damage if he chucks that thing. <laughs> well, he said that if anybody ever broke in the house, he was going to hit him in the dick with it. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'm like, well, at least you got a plan. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you yeah. know what, though? That would be great. You know, see the news headline of somebody breaking into the house is taken out by Stormbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> Stormbreaker strike to the nuts. <laughs> oh, man. I had done was I was working on some stuff, and one guy from the leftover army a couple years ago asked for he wanted thund, uh, Thunderstrike, which would, I don't know if you know who that is from Thor or the comic books. I don't think I ever saw that character, but he was I read from a bunch like of the Jason Aaron books. Oh no, this one would he would have died in the early nineties, I guess. But he was one of the other characters who held Mjolnir, took Thor's place, and he was actually Thor during the Infinity Gauntlet saga in the comics. Okay, so, yeah, that guy. Yeah, so he got his own hammer called Thunder Thunderstrike. So I was like, oh, that's I love Thunderstrike. I love that guy. He was my favorite Thor because I never really liked Thor. This dude asked me to make one, so I, I made him a Thunderstrike, and it's made out of, like, MDF, and it's, like, not solid, but... It's like the the handle of it goes all the way through the head of Thunderstrike. So, like, you legitimately could, like, beat somebody to death with it. Because it's, like, MDF, but then I fiberglass resin over the MDF to make it perfectly smooth. And then the pipe going through it is galvanized steel. <laughs> so, yeah, like for a, sure, dude. It's, like, yeah. Well, I have two... Mjolnir's I put together the same way to get signed by Stan Lee and Chris Hemsworth, and they're the same way. And so, I mean, I can't do it, and that was the Stan Lee one. If somebody breaks in, I can use the Chris Hemsworth one and beat him down. <laughs> I can always get another signature from him. Oh, my God. Speaking of Chris Hemsworth, I just finished watching Bad Times at the El Royale. Have you seen that? I'm watching it tonight. Okay. Yeah, let me know what you think. All right, yeah. He looks like a sex cult leader or some shit. <laughs> yeah, no, his character is very interesting. Um, but man, yeah, that... I, I, I won't really say anything else right now. Um, the, I'll say that we watched half of it last night, and then earlier today my wife was like, do you want to finish watching that weird movie? <laughs> and I was like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> And while we were finishing watching it, I was like, you know, I think you described this perfectly. This is a weird fucking movie. <laughs> it's it's like it has the feel of a Tarantino film, but then it also has... I don't even know what else to describe it with. It's like Tarantino and, and maybe kind of an art film in a way, but fuck, I don't know. Uh, my buddy at work told me that it's, it, it looks like a cross between Tarantino and a Coen Brothers film. Okay, that, like, that fucking hits the nail on the head. That was really good. I'm excited, because I love... Did you watch the the Ballad of Buster Scrug, Scrubs? No, I, I heard things about it on the Army page, but... Um, yeah, my TV watching time is always super limited. Especially on things that... If it's like... Where it's like a TV MA rating, or... Or... More than what I'm... You know, it's... Uh, if it's not well, appropriate I, for the kids, it's it's hard for me to squeeze it in. 
Yeah, that this one's more it's adult, but it's not like because of any like sex or graphic like portrayals of violence. But like the first episode is like the guy who is Buster Scruggs. He's a singing cowboy. And it and right there alone it was fucking awesome. But if you wa- if you watched it, like the first episode's really the best one. So if you watched it and ducked out it, it's not an uplifting show. Like, there's a lot of dark shit in there. <laughs> and it's not like it just makes a turn. It's just like, it's just a dark, just not a happy show. Yeah, that that's kind of how I feel about Black Mirror, where it's it's like, it's really good. Everybody always talks about how much they like it, but most of the time I finish watching an episode and I'm just like, oh, oh I don't like the way that made me feel, but... But I, I did watch the the Miley Cyrus episode from the newest season. And I, I haven't started that one yet. I thought it was great. I did. I didn't catch like the first five minutes of it or so. I think I got home from work and my wife was watching it, and I was like, "Oh, is this the new Black Mirror?" And just as I was standing there talking to her, it sucked me in, and so I ended up just sitting on the couch and watching the rest of it. So, so I saw the bulk of the episode, and yeah, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, I have not gotten a chance to watch that because i've been watching Mad Men, and then last night i did the, kind of the same thing as you i started a, a, a movie i didn't make it through and i was supposed to finish it today and i didn't but as yeah so i went to the theater and watched venom and my son got sick halfway through so we we never really went back and turned it back on and last night i was like you know what, let's watch venom again he's like all right let's watch it and i fucking fell asleep <laughs> i've owned that digital for a really long time and i've still never watched it i did not love it it's like one of those movies that's like a bad soup it's like bad but i guess i don't know it's like a b-rate movie that people just loved that b-rate movie i could not get into it i thought it was terrible <laughs> No, I had said something to a coworker one day about digital copies on movies because I'd given her my my login for uh, Voodoo because there's some I think it was Infinity War maybe she hadn't seen or I don't know it was one of the Marvel movies and and so I've got almost all of them on there and she was saying you know she's like where do you get these codes I'm like if they just come in the sleeve of the Blu-ray. And so she's like, well, I'm going to go home and look. And so she came back to work with like a whole pile of them. And, and I went through and picked out, you know, basically all the comic book movies and shit like that. The ones I didn't have yet. And so I've got a big stack of them that are ones where it's like, you know, I don't know if I'd ever really want to watch this. So at some point I'm going to get <laughs> motivated and take pictures of them all and just put them up on the army page. Yeah, that's what I did. I ended up giving, shoot, I saw like Jake and Brian all of my digitals because I, I don't do I don't do digital. I don't know why. I just I'm always done the just Blu-ray or DVD. But now I don't even buy DVDs. I haven't bought a DVD in years. <laughs> I know the last DVDs I bought were I was really dying to watch the Iron Man movies, and I was looking online, and Target had all three Iron Man movies for like fifty for $10, I think, but it, they were all in DVD. No digital copies, nothing, just DVD versions of each movie. And so th- those were the last DVDs I bought. Hmm. Well, I don't even know what the last DVD that I bought. I bought, you know what? I do. I bought a, um, 
SC2E2, I got Star Wars Special Edition D Specialized. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've got those too. They're a must. <laughs> yeah. And they look good. They look awesome. So I was like, yeah, that's might be DVD quality, but it's freaking phenomenal. Yeah. No, I've, I've got those on my computer. I love them. They, they make me so happy. They take me back to my childhood because it's... God damn, if I watch Return of the Jedi and it's just on like TNT or something like that, I am not fucking happy with like some of the shit that it added in on uh, it's just cringeworthy. The the dance sequence or the song sequence they added in in Jabba's Palace is fucking terrible. Yeah. That I mean the first one I can get through the Jabba stuff and the first the a new hope that they put in there. And then Empire it's not much, but Return of the Jedi I can't even stomach it so bad yeah I, I liked seeing some of the explosions updated but like then other explosions they like went into like fireworks territory where it's like why did you make it look like that that's just fucking silly yeah it's oh my god it's so bad and then the sarlacc pit looks freaking just it just looks stupid <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> i forgot how bad the sarlacc pit looked yeah, they didn't even do anything good. Like, the, the, what they should have done to add anything for that to that movie was just have Boba Fett climb out of the Sarlacc pit. That's the only thing they needed to add. Yeah, that would have been pretty badass. Yeah, because I love Boba Fett. Fuck you, Luther Shaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Boba Fett's one of those characters where it's like, it's, it's just collectively the fan base decided, you know what, that guy who doesn't really say shit is really cool. <laughs> right? And it's like, and they weren't wrong. No, he's awesome. Just just like Captain Phasma. <laughs> Captain, Captain Phasma, Phasma was awesome. And then she didn't do shit either. <laughs> she got chrome armor. <laughs> oh my okay. god. It was melted down from Amadillo's, Amadillo's, from Armadillo's ship, <laughs> Princess Armadillo. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, they man, they. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this new one. Oh, here's a, here's a fun fact though. Um, you know the the Mandalorian TV show that's coming out, right? Yeah. They had filmed a bunch of stuff where they didn't have enough stormtroopers for their show. So they called on the 501st Garrison, which is the um, Nationwide Stormtroopers fan group that has, they're basically like movie accurate costumes and all this other stuff. So we had somebody in our costume group say, tell another person in our group secretly because they just had to tell somebody that they had went and done a thing. But I can't tell you. So we're all wondering what the fuck did this person do? Lo and behold, she was in The Mandalorian as a stormtrooper because they needed stormtroopers. That's really cool. Like, You're fucking kidding me. Yeah, it was awesome. So there's a female stormtrooper in that in The Mandalorian that you don't know is a female stormtrooper. Which is uh, pretty awesome, too. Yeah, that's like some Mulan stuff going on. Yeah. But we <laughs> saw I saw pictures of all their faces and I recognized a couple of them from our group. I'm like, yeah, they're not allowed to talk about shit. So they couldn't talk about anything. They just wanted to let everybody know that they did it. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, one of the po- one of the Game of Thrones recap podcasts I'd always listen to is Binge Mode, and they had their final wrap up that I listened to while I was mowing my yard today, and they had <laughs> I want to say that this way they scored an interview with the Prince of Dorne, <laughs> that dude who basically just sat there in that chair at the, during that like council, you know, where they decided who the new king was going to be, and oh all he did God. his only line was like I. <laughs> And so they had an interview with this actor and he was so stoked to be on the show. And so it was a really great interview, but he was talking about all the secrets secrecy that surrounded that. And that basically they weren't handed scripts until they walked in that day and they were only given scripts on just the one little scene that they were doing. But basically he had to sit there and listen to them, you know, be like, Oh, spoilers for game of Thrones. But like, you know, Jon Snow stabbed Queen Daenerys through the heart. And he said he was sitting in his chair like, what? Because <laughs> he's a huge fan of the show. And they just spoiled the ending for him. <laughs> oh my but then God. he had to keep it all quiet for a long time. And uh, it was pretty funny hearing him, hearing him tell it. Man, I, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be a fan of a show and to get onto the show and have it just fucking spoiled for you. <laughs> right? What a weird fucking twist. Yeah, what a bittersweet experience. <laughs> My God. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I would, you could give Star Wars away for me. Just let me be on one. Just let me do something in there. But if, you know what? I can say that all I want, but they had the princes from the UK in there and they cut them out of the movie, so... There's huh. no hope for me. Yeah. <laughs> God, who else did they cut from the movie? Uh, Tom Hardy, right? They cut him from yeah. The Last Jedi. Yeah, I thought I'd heard something that he was supposed to be in that. That's fucking jerks. Ryan Johnson's the worst. Did you land on that side of it that you didn't like The Last Jedi? Yeah, it was different, though. Like, I just didn't like the movie. I didn't care what direction that they went i just thought it was like slow and boring and they didn't sell me on a bunch of stuff i wasn't the whole hashtag not my luke skywalker camp i didn't care about that i thought they could i thought it was cool if they did something different with him i just didn't buy the way they did it it wasn't believable for me yeah I, i haven't watched the whole movie again since i saw it in the theater and and i bought the digital right when it came out and Hmm. Yeah. Are you in the camp that you didn't enjoy it very much? No, I really, really liked it a lot. There's there's yeah. definitely like slow parts in the movie and parts that the story was kind of silly and didn't make sense and like especially from like a physics point of view. But you know, overall I was really happy with it. Um I I didn't mind the way Game of Thrones finished out either, so um the, I, I think for me if it's a fandom that I really like like you really need to shit the bed for for me to to be unhappy with it, because for the most part I'll I'll look at those things of you know well, hey I'm not the I'm a fan of this stuff I'm not the creator of this stuff, but being you know a, a writer and and having works and stuff and characters that I've created, um, I can kind of sympathize with with some of the stuff that that maybe the writers go through. And when it's something as big as a TV show or a movie like that, where there's so many different people giving input on it, I'd imagine the water can get quite muddied. Whereas if you're like a lone creator, like a, like a writer working on a novel or something like that, you can, especially if you have people that, that you can show your work to and get good constructive feedback on, you can have time to go and change things like that. But I think it's too big of a snowball to stop rolling in certain events. 
and and I think that that's the way Game of Thrones went. And um, yeah, and I I don't there, there's some scenes in the Last Jedi that I just can't explain, <laughs> like the importance of why <laughs> it's there. But overall, I liked it. I I loved the way it finished out with Luke, with him just force projecting himself there. I thought that that was just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I watched it when I, I got opening night tickets Thursday, came home and was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? And then I watched it again Saturday because I'd already bought tickets. And then I watched it. I mean, I really didn't. It's like I thought I think I liked it a lot less the second time. But when it came out on it on uh, it was on Netflix or whatever, I ended up watching it again after having, you know, vented everything I could vent, because I think I vented on the Supercast, and I was supposed to be on the PCL episode, but stuff came up, so I couldn't make that. But I just got it all out of my system, and I watched it again. I was like, you know what? It's This is not terrible. It's just, uh, it's just not for me. Like, I wasn't sold on it. I think the biggest thing that didn't sell me was, like, it's like Luke got caught... You know, like Ray comes home from work, she catches Luke wearing her clothes, and he's like, "Oh my God, I gotta chuck this lightsaber over and change my clothes real quick." I'm sorry. And I was like, "Why is he wearing that Jedi outfit if he's turned his back on the Jedi?" That so for the rest of the movie, I just couldn't buy into it. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. Maybe those people on that island—it's like the only clothes they know how to make. <laughs> They're like, look, this is the pattern we have. Okay, it was handed down from the first Jedi long ago. This is a sacred pattern. Here's your robe. And he's like, well, I suppose I don't want to be naked when I'm sucking on this teat. So oh. That would make it sexual, and that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. And they started to get serious on some stuff, like when Ray's doing her lightsaber training. She's like, oh, I'm trying practicing this lightsaber on this rock for whatever the fuck reason. And then she cuts through it, and instead of it being some sort of oops, I messed up because of the force and stuff, blah, 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 it turns into like a comedic moment because the rock comes down and crushes the little frog people. And I was like, come on. Just keep, I don't, I don't know. It just kept taking something like that would happen. It would just take me out of this movie. Like Hux was a chump, and I, he was a comedic chump. He shouldn't have been. Hux was a chump. <laughs> That should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> it should be. Hux was a chump. Oh. <laughs> you know, being oh. that we spent so much of this talking Chernobyl, it would make no sense if I made the episode subtitle, Hux was a chump. <laughs> but part of me really wants to. <laughs> oh, Yeah, that would make no sense. You'd have to put like a timestamp on there as when we talk about Hux being a chump. <laughs> 95% Chernobyl, 5% Chuck. Hux is a chump. Oh my god. Oh, that's good stuff, dude. Uh, oh, yeah, but man, uh, no, Chernobyl, man. What a show. Uh, and and yeah. I'm really glad that, uh, <laughs> that you were so excited about a nuclear meltdown show and that uh, your excitement got me stoked <laughs> to do a podcast on it because this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm terrible. I can't, I don't know. I guess I was excited about a nuclear meltdown show. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I saw the tra- the preview for it, 
like stopped what I was doing and I went back into the room and I backed it up and I actually sat down and watched the whole thing because it just hooked me on the title because it was already something that I was I was on board to to learn more about. And then just watching that first trailer, man, I was in and and I'm so happy that the show it fired on all cylinders and it absolutely delivered and and yeah, number one show on IMDb. How about that? Yeah. I well, I don't want to say I love the show, but I loved the show. It was so good. It did such a good job of um really giving information without overloading the information with such an abundance of information to people so easily. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, man. Yeah. So, um, are you and Brooke still doing occasional episodes of cause buddies or, or what's going on with that podcast? Oh man, I think it died. Like we could not like meet up for the longest time to do episodes and, I, I don't know. It just I think it just seemed like a conflict. And then shortly after, I got hooked into the Brute Force and Ignorance, a D&D um, podcast, you know, shameless plug, with Dan and those guys, <laughs> Dan, Jake Harmon, Jai Rivera, Matt Kirby, and Frank Hammer. And the three of the five of us have been just doing that every other week. We've been on a little hiatus for personal reasons. We're doing some more tomorrow. Are you guys but, still um, recording episodes while you're on hiatus or, or more you're just keeping your own game going? Well, we had, um, what was it? Something had, I think it was Memorial day or something like that. So we took that week off. There was a custody, um, switching of weeks for someone. So they had to alternate their weeks so that when it landed, we had to skip another session and then another person is having some, personal things so we're trying not to push that but we're, we're doing a little bit of like restructuring of some stuff it looks like so um i'm gonna take some i'm gonna start helping edit to kind of alleviate some of the pressure and re- free up some time for some of the guys so we're gonna go back to record again tomorrow for the next episode because we do it bi-weekly but we do a few episodes a week so we can re- release them weekly oh cool so we're gonna be doing that again tomorrow and then we with the um, leftover monsters podcast, that's a that's almost a two day chunk for day one to watch the movie, then take notes and review or uh, get information on the movie, and then this next one would be to record the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I usually get wiped out. Like Wednesday is when I normally try to watch the movie, so it's fresh for when we record Thursday. So there's two days right there in the middle of the week wiped out. At least for me, because I have a long commute and I have to get up early. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's always fun, ain't it? Yeah. I'd like to get back on there and do it with Brooke. It's just I can't commit to, like, organizing anything. No, I, I totally know how that goes. It At one point there it, um, in the past, I mean, that was why StarCast went so long without having an episode. Is I just had so many irons in the fire and then... I would line up episodes and then they'd, you know, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes those things fall through, you know, you plan something that's two or three weeks ahead in the future. Shit can come up. That's totally understandable. And then, and then just going through trying to figure out, am I depressed? Is this general, the general malaise of being human? (laughs) Like what the fuck is going on here? 
but for a while I just felt like I didn't really have much much worth talking about but but yeah I'm, oh. I'm glad to get back into it man and I'm I'm really glad that we got to talk tonight yeah I, I I've been on here what three times and I love it each time it's a lot of fun <laughs> no you're always fun to talk to man and I'm so glad that I got to hang out with you at C2E2 for the second year in a row oh it was fun it was a lot of fun and just for the just for the record, this is the first podcast I've ever done seriously. <laughs> you did this one seriously? Uh-huh. I don't think I had any fart jokes or anything like that. No. No, I, I guess we were actually both pretty serious on this one. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of hard to make fun and jokes or even <laughs> get too excited about some of the content material that was in this one. This is very true. <laughs> Oh man, well yeah. So definitely check out uh, the other Eric's other stuff. You got uh, leftover army monster or leftover that one. <laughs> what the fuck is the title on that one, dude? I'm totally butchering this here. It's like, uh, I'm gonna butcher it too. It's leftover armies monsters podcast giant. No, leftover monsters giant podcast all out attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that one's awesome. Um, and then uh, glad to hear that uh, Brute Force and Ignorance will be uh, maybe making a comeback here, too, because I, I'm not current on that one. But, man, I love what I've listened to. So much fun. Oh, yeah. Those guys are so good. They make me a better player. <laughs> That's awesome. Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Starcast. <laughs>